0: This is our last week, fourth week out of four, can you believe it, where I've been looking at the parable, small story, big idea, small story, big idea. We've looked at the Good Samaritan, the Rich fool, the two builders, I'll be honest, I've felt undone by them. And um, we're just going to do one more, it's almost like we can't take any more punches to the body, and then I'm going to be looking at a new series next week. But if you've got a Bible, Luke 18... I'm going to read five verses from 9 to 14. He told, this is Jesus, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. These are your words. I thank you. We're not just listening to the words of Pete this morning but the words of God. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. For some of us, we would have thought about this parable before. For some of us, it might be the first time. What we want to do is we want to leave this place thinking, well, God has spoken to us. I want to live and be different. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do, it's twos this morning. I'm going to keep it really simple for you. There's two men, two prayers, and two results. The first thing I'm going to look at is the two men that are in the parable. It says two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now before we look at this, I'm going to suggest that some of you have read your Bible too much. You think, "Ah, Pete, you can't say things like that. (laughs) No, you don't know what my week has been like. (laughs) Now I'm going to suggest that some people have read their Bible too much because you've already made this parable sanitized what you've done is you've suddenly sort of you've you've grasped it and you've understood it and you've not grabbed the shock of it you see these two men you've got to think about it were were very clear pictures to the people that were there if you were listening to jesus a pharisee was a good guy he was a good guy You see, what happened is, if you know the Old Testament, around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they'd basically given up on the law of God and the people had gone their own way and they'd got themselves into lots of trouble, this group, this radical, church planting, no, no, exciting, radical group, were saying, we want to hang on to the law. We believe when we gave up the law that we got into trouble with God. They were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those that were super committed because they tithed. They gave money. You know what I'm saying? 10% of everything they would give. That The Pharisees were so keen to keep the law that they made up what was called the oral law to go along with the written law. There were 613 of these rules. 248 positive, 365 negative. But basically it was trying to look after the law of God. They were the zealots, the keen ones, the eager ones. They were, they were known, well, I won't even eat in somebody's house in case I become unpure. They were the ones that had not sold out to the Romans. So when you listen to this, the Pharisees, by the, the crowd of Jesus, were considered the good guys. So I was thinking about this this morning. How could I help us understand this parable this morning? I would like to say, the Pharisees are the pastors. Ooh. So suddenly, you imagine going to church, and Jesus is saying, imagine the one at the front who's got the microphone. He says, right, I'm going to pray. And everyone's going, ooh, the pastor's in the house. You know what I'm saying? That's almost the picture that I think Jesus was saying. This is the good guy. The good guy comes to, pl- to pray. And then Jesus makes it really obvious. He goes, okay, there's this picture. Good guy is one of the. The other one is the tax collector. Now, you know, I mean, if this had been like a Christmas pantomime, I'd say the word tax collector, and you go, boo. I mean, that was the kind of picture that Jesus was, he's like, tax collector. He was the exact opposite, of the Pharisee. The tax collector was the local man that knew people, but stitched them up to the Romans. I know how much he earns. I know how big his farm is. I know how big his carpentry business is. He should pay this much tax and a lot more. There were local people that were despised social outcomes. They earned lots of money, but they weren't proud of their profession. He was a monster. I was thinking, if you had to think about a tax collector today, who would you think of? You might think of a prostitute. You might think of someone who gives drugs to kids. You might think of someone who's a sex slave trafficker. You might think of an abortion doctor. Do you get the picture now of this parable? Jesus tells the parable of the two kinds of people. The pastor. The tax collector. I think sometimes we miss that because we've read it too often. We've already understood the picture without suddenly thinking, these are the things. Jesus clearly tells this story about those who trust too much in themselves. Now, I'm not trying to paint myself as a Pharisee, but I'm asking some questions. People still trust too much in themselves today. We call them proud. I would say that there's two kinds of people in this story. Those that are proud and those that are humble. Humility, I think, is a rare commodity in a society like ours where we value uniqueness and merit. Therefore, it tends to make us proud. C.J. Mahaney, an author in the state, says this, Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. I think we live in a proud society. It's very easy for us to be proud. I don't really need you, God. I'm all right. I'll get by on my own. Humility, however, is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. I think that he's taking two totally different pictures here. Pride preaches merit. Humility pleads for compassion. How do you go to God? On your merit or based upon his compassion? Pride tends to negotiate as an equal. Humility approaches in need. Pride tends to separate by pulling other people down. It's funny, isn't it, how much of humor we pull other people down, make ourselves look good. Humility identifies with others. Pride destroys other people through self-service, whereas humility opens the door for others through sympathy. Pride tends to turn up its nose. Humility tends to open its hand. I think Jesus was trying to paint this picture. He was trying to say, look, the pride think the task is more important than the person the proud tends to glorify themselves rather than God and the Bible and Jesus are coming against this because it's so destructive Jonathan Edwards if you've ever heard of him he was a a great preacher again in the States this was a long time ago he's been dead a long time but he said this pride is the worst viper that is in the heart and the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Jesus he was saying, "Actually, pride is—it's it's like a snake. It's terrible. It's like, ugh." That's how he thought about pride. We know that's what the Bible says. In James, it says, "He gives more grace." James four verse six. Therefore, it says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." We know throughout the Bible, it's the humble that get God's attention. In Isaiah 62, it says, All these things my hand has made, and so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But to to this one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think that when we have these two men that come into this holy place to do this holy thing to pray, there's two totally different attitudes going on. One is the Pharisee, who's proud. And the other one is the tax collector that's humble. Now, I want to ask you the question, or maybe it's make a statement. I feel for most of us, the real issue is not does pride exist, but where does it exist and how is it being expressed? John Stott, an English preacher, says this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. We know, don't we, from Proverbs that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. As I said, these are small stories with big ideas, aren't they? we can suddenly think Jesus is just telling us about a couple of guys that pray. Some of us, if we're really honest, think, well, I, I've read about the parable of the persistent widow. I know it's a little bit about prayer. Now, actually, I think Jesus comes in and really challenges our heart. And I think, oh, God. You know, Partly, I, I, think, I feel I'm done even trying to preach this stuff, you know, because I think, golly. I think, oh, am I proud? Well, of course I'm proud. Where am I proud? God, how are you revealing? How do I... I want to lovingly bring it to us. When I go to my neighbor and say, "Great, I'd love you to come across the Redeemer. I love this church. I love the people. I love the message we've got to tell. How do I do it in a humble way? You know? I think I, I honestly want to say, well, look, I've, I've got good news." I do love you guys. I love the guys that lead us in worship, the guys that are serving out on the kids on the PA now. I think, oh God, how do I keep humble in all of this? Because God has blessed us with some great people. I love meeting with my small group. You know what I'm saying? I think, oh God, how do I keep humble on these things? I know this, that Jesus was the perfect example. It says in Mark 10, doesn't it? The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom For many. I honestly find in my own life, and I'm not saying I've got it, I'm just trying to help. The way I find, keeps me humble, is to look at the cross. Because every time I look at the cross, I feel undone. We often sing the hymn, don't we? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. I think, guys, we've got to be those that keep coming back to the cross and saying, oh, God, keep me. See, if I ask you the question, in this parable, who do you most identify with? Who are you most like? I read several commentaries, some of you know. It's people that have got before God and they've said, what does this passage mean? One of them said this, if you say, thank God I'm not like a Pharisee, it means you probably are. I think, oh no, <laughs> yeah, I feel undone. I thank God I'm not like one of them. It means you probably are. I think, oh God, please, even now, speak into our hearts. Two men in this story, two prayers. It goes on, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. You, know, you can imagine, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But it's almost like at the back of the hall, might not even have come in the hall, to be honest. It might just be outside the doors. You can imagine this sort of tax collector just down on his knees. Not even looking up, beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We've got two kinds of prayers going on. You see, the temple was a place where people would come and pray. Often what had happened, and they think... Jesus doesn't actually tell us this here, but they think what happened is it had just been the sacrifice of atonement. This would happen twice a day, and basically they would come out and they would sprinkle some blood on the altar. They got these silver trumpets that they used to blow. They used to clang these cymbals. They'd read a psalm. This happened the same time every day. And often it was a time when people prayed together, but then when the incense went up to God, the idea was you could pray and your prayers went on the incense to heaven. So some people used to pray at this time, even if they weren't in the temple. So, you know, suppose they were running a shop or something, and they think, "Right, well, I'll stop and I'll pray. And they think this is, and it's almost like Jesus saying that prayer is really good. I don't think he's knocking prayer. We've got another day of prayer and fasting, you know. God hears prayer. But then I think I want to look a little bit at the prayers. You see, as a good Pharisee, you would have known that there was three kinds of prayer they used to pray one was a confession for sin one was thanking God for all that you've been given and one was petitions for yourself and for others they were the types of prayer that Pharisees often prayed. but actually this one doesn't he stands by himself and he thinks about himself it's almost like the the physical is a picture of what's going on inside isn't it he's not stood with everyone else he's just stood alone head up I believe hands raised God's name is mentioned at the beginning but there's not another thought about God throughout the prayer, is there? I mean, don't you find it fascinating? Obviously, I've had too much time to think about this this week. But, I mean, he mentions God once, but he says, I, five times. I do, I do, I do. His prayer is not about God. It is about what I have done. How much better he is than others. I mean, there are some things talking around that they the Pharisees used to fast on a Monday and a Thursday. There you go, if you want to get religious, Monday and Thursday. Why? Because they were the market days. And so they would have been the busiest days. And so what they tended to do is they'd whiten up their faces, and they'd fast, and they'd look somber, and people say, oh, wow, what a holy man. You're only supposed to fast in the law probably once a, a year, and he was doing it twice a week. He wasn't just tithing his crops. I mean, imagine it, you know, that it was an agricultural society, tied the whole crop. He said, Look, I'm not just tithing my crop, I tithe my window box. I mean, that's the kind of philosophy he was having. I tied t- the mint, I tied the little things, I tied everything. That's how he was coming before God. But the tax collector was totally different. Beating his breast was a sign of repentance. The only other time it's mentioned in Scripture is when Jesus was on the cross. You know, it's this time of, world total unworthiness. And yet here he is, beating his breast, seeks nothing but the mercy of God. One commentator said his prayer was this, Oh God, make an atonement for me. It's almost like the atonement sacrifice has gone up, you know, and he said, Oh God, would you atone for me? You see, I think this answers the question, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Here I think he's asking, actually the Pharisees and the tax collector, and they're trusting different people. In fact, if you read on the next few verses in Luke, verse 15 to 17, Jesus says, let the children come to me. It's like childlike faith. I'm modeling childlike faith. In fact, I think then he's got the rich ruler and he said that he was trusting in his money and instead he's got a trust in God. I believe the parable here points to the picture. of Who do we trust? How do we get right before a righteous, holy, perfect God? Mark Driscoll, some of you would have heard of him, who, who leads a church. I'd, uh, I read his sermon on it this week. He talks about God having work righteousness and gift righteousness. These two men, in some respect, models of both of them. So the Pharisee is an example of work righteousness. Now, this is not just religious people. I'm sure if you went out into Ealing today and said to somebody, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? They'd say, well, I think I'm a good person. So what they really think is, I've worked my way to get into heaven. Somebody else, if you spoke to them in Ely, might say, I feel that God's got to bless me in the next life because I've had it tough in this life. I've suffered my way into heaven. It's a form of work, righteousness. Somebody else might say, well, actually, I think God will let me into heaven because you've got to admit, Pete, um, I look after the planet. I pay off my carbon footprint every year when I use public transport. I mean, surely, you know, I mean, isn't that what was going to get me into heaven? It's work righteousness. I think you get others that have, well, because I'm a good person, I've always been told that I'm loved. I think you'd even find others in healing that are religious, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, that think if I perform well enough, then I'll get into heaven. You see, the difference between these two, and you can see it in the prayer, is that work righteousness is all about me, what I have done. Work righteousness, you compare yourself to others. Man alive, I mean, I know you've been on holiday, Luca. I mean, I've been here every week. God's going to love me more, I'm afraid. That's not true at all, Luca. It's great to see you. But that's work righteousness. You compare yourself to other people. Work righteousness means that you focus on external actions rather than internal thoughts. Work righteousness is, wow, Sam's going to get into heaven. I mean, he's got a young baby and he's still here setting up the PA. Work righteousness means that you, under, you believe that you're judged by people rather than being judged by God. That's how the Pharisee was thinking. Work righteousness means you suddenly become proud of yourself and what you've done. You tend to show contempt for other people rather than compassion. Ultimately, I believe that work righteousness offends God because we despise others who don't put in the effort that we do. That's work righteousness. That's the Pharisee. Whereas the tax collector, his prayer expresses something of gift righteousness. You see, he compares himself to Jesus And he realizes his sin. It's almost like, oh God, when I look at your standard, when I look at Jesus Christ, when I read about the word, oh, I'm a sinner. I've not looked at Mark and thought, man, alive. You know, compared to him, I'm not doing too bad. I've looked at Jesus and thought, I'm undone. That's gift righteousness. Gift righteousness you tend to despise. Uh, the sin in yourself, and you just don't want to tolerate it. You humbly repent to God. You receive grace by faith. It's not not something you earn. It's something that is given. This status is given to you. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved because of what he has done. You see, this is the way that the Pharisee should have prayed, but he didn't. It was the tax collector. You see what I'm saying? This picture, the, the good man at the front wasn't praying like that. The poor man at the back, the monster was. J.C. Ryle, he said this, the true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. Our danger is that we can fall into the trap of the Pharisees and think, I've done, I've done, I've done! I think I've often told you, I used to quite enjoy watching the goodies when I was a kid. It was a a, a flippant cartoon, well, sort of funny sketches that... Okay, so Chris, just stick with me here, Chris. We're in it together, aren't we? They used to have a song on the goodies. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I learned it. I used to teach it. As a t- when I was a teacher, I'd sing it to my class. It's terrible, isn't it? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be par- humble when you're perfect in every way. I just can't look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be of a guy. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm trying the best that I can. That was like the Pharisee. But when do we really stop and look at what we really like? That's like the tax collector. The righteous person is not the one who observes a particular code of ethics, but rather a person granted a special relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. I think this is what Jesus is driving at. That's what righteousness is. It, it's not. And, and please, I, 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 I speak to myself before you. I think the danger can even become that we want to feel like we're, we're radical or we're reformed. Or we're, and we think, oh, we're the good guys. I don't want us to ever miss that we know God, that we've encountered God. But he's amongst us, you know what I'm saying? I don't want us ever even. We, we might think, oh, we don't get caught up in externals. It will be so easy, folks, to turn up here, uh, you know, and, and, and fake it. I've had a bad week, but, you know, if I flutter my eyelids and raise my hand, they'll all think I'm godly anyway. No, actually, surely what we've got to come and say, it's your mercy that makes me right. It's not what I'm trying to earn. You see, in the the tax collector's utter spiritual bankruptcy, he casts himself upon the mercy of God. It says in Ephesians 2, It is by grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works no one can boast. I want to ask you the question, Who do you most identify with? Who are you most like? the Pharisee or the tax collector. I think one came full of pride. The other one came in humility. One came declaring, I'm right with God through what I've done. The other one came asking for grace to cover their sin. This is the shock. I tell you this, the two results. This man... Went down to his house justified, Jesus is speaking about the tax collector, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Catch the shock of this, yeah? The pastor at the front who prays, and the guy at the back who sells drugs to kids. He cries out for mercy. This one says, "How well, he's done. Jesus says, understand, this one goes home right and this one doesn't. See, the holy man in the holy place doing the holy thing got nothing. He got exactly what he asked for. Nothing. He never asked God for anything. He came and told God how good he was. I, I, I don't want to push it too far, but I think sin for Jesus is not about a broken law, but it's about a broken relationship with God. That's what sin is. And he'd come and said, oh, mend this relationship, forgive me. That's what the tax collector was asking for. Now, I believe that God wants to. The great news is, if you come humbly and ask God for forgiveness, He will forgive you. It says in Psalm 103 verse 12, "As far as the east is from the west, and we're not meant to try and work that distance out and you know, don't Google it. Oh, <laughs> what does it say? How far is that on Wikipedia? No, it's a picture, yeah far as the east is from the west, as far as you can imagine, further, he has removed our transgressions, our sin from us. Martin Luther used to call this the great exchange. He's taken all your filth and he's chucked it as far away as he can. And he's taken all the righteousness of Christ and he's stuck it upon you. If you come and humbly ask, that's what it's all about. It is not what you have done, it's what's been done for you. Listen to this. I might have to say it twice. God is not impressed with you, but he loves you. Because if he was impressed with you, you'd have to keep performing. God is not impressed with you, but he loves you. Because if he was impressed with you, you'd have to keep performing. And I think what he's trying to say is, actually, yeah, We do want to be those that do. I'm not against fasting. I'm not against giving. You know what I'm saying? If you want us to really prove that, I'll take the offering twice. I haven't got a problem with it. But actually, it comes out of this, God loves me. I love him. I'm not trying to impress him. It's not a performance. It must never slip into that. So often we say that the, the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. And the danger is the longer that we've done anything, whether it be reading our Bible, praying for the sick, it can just become a routine. And I think what he's trying to say is actually there's something about the mercy and the grace of God that should totally transform us. Two men, two prayers, two results. You've got the Pharisee and the tax collector. They're the two men. You've got the two prayers. One is a work of righteousness, and one is a gift of righteousness. I think you've got two results. One is justified. That means standing right before God. That means acceptable. One is not. If you have never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sin, that's the things you think, say, and do that are wrong, I think you can come and humbly ask, he'll forgive you. Don't try and earn your way to him. Except that he loves you. I want to ask you the question Who do you most identify with? Who are you most like? The Pharisee or the tax collector? Guys, it is not about us. Some of you, I'm sure, would have heard Delirious' song, Majesty. I'd like just to read it out to you because I feel it expresses almost my heart at the end of this challenge. And then I know Richard and the guys will lead us in a response. It says, here I am humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so free. Here I am knowing I'm a sinful man, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now I've found the greatest love of all is mine, since you laid down your life the greatest sacrifice. I think this kind of song, it's almost like the tax collector would be singing. Majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed but alive in your hands. Majesty, majesty, forever I am changed by your love. In the presence of your majesty, you are wonderful. God show mercy to me. Here I am, humbled by the love that you give. Forgiven so that I can forgive. Here I stand, knowing that I'm your desire, sanctified by, your, by glory and fire. Now I've found the greatest love of all is mine. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice. This small story has got such a big idea, hasn't it? I think if we really can grasp it, it's life-changing. What it says to us is we do not have to earn. We do not have to try and impress God. God loves you. If you're trying to impress him, you're going to have to struggle every week, every week, every day. God loves you. It's a gift of righteousness. It's not something that we earn. It's not something we achieve. It's not something we deserve. We can humbly come knowing that he will willingly, willingly forgive us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't this truth amazing? Yet we are not giving out leaflets to people to say come and beat yourself up and make yourself feel bad and earn your salvation. What we're saying is come to the one who loves you. Come to the one who loves you so much that his son died for you. Paid that price for you. What you mean, well, give me a clean conscience, remove my guilt. But that's, that's, it's too good to be true. That is surely the gospel. And I think that is the the story that we're finding here. Praise God. Thank you, guys.